This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. from the ziggurat at omaha located in caverns deep below the metro area it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 646 of the two-headed nerd comic book podcast i am the internet's joe patrick and today i'll be playing the part of head number one every time i say the number i have like a visceral reaction i know you would think akin akin to like (laughs) what have i done what have i done with the past decade yeah you could have been an olympic long jumper or something right? i could have been and i'm matt bum playing the part of head number two it's time for another cosmic long box episode where we discuss classic comics based on a theme and this time with the new COVID variant, Omicron, sweeping the planet and sounding like an evil transformer on the attack, our sentient, cosmically charged long box is forcing us to read Transformer crossover comics in an episode we're calling Transformers Versus. Except we're not calling it that because you won't let me come up with funny titles for the episodes anymore. No, I mean, we can yeah. still do that. Trans- cosmic long box, Transformers Versus. Whatever. After that, we'll hit you with our must-read picks for next week. But now, the cosmic long box sits crackling with energon, and a blinding light explodes from under its lid as we are pulled into the comic time stream. It's back issue review time in the ziggurat. You like how I swapped energy? I did. Energon that was there. that was good thinking. You're not fly, good at shit like that. I, I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty clever when I'm paying attention. You know, every time I'm like, come up with a good segue, you're like, I'm not good at this. Well, I only had to come up with one word to be fair. Fair enough. For a millennium, the battle of the Autobots and Decepticons has raged not only on their home planet Cybertron, but across the universe. Today. We see firsthand what happens when G.I. Joe, the crew of the Enterprise, Spider-Man, and even the Ghostbusters are pulled into their eternal conflict. The Transformers have had quite a history with their ongoing series being published by three different publishers over the last 37 years. Joe Patrick, can you name all three publishers? Yes, the three publishers of the Transformers over the past 37 years are Marvel, Dreamwave. That was the one I didn't think you'd get. <laughs> and IDW. What do you mean? I was there. I, I was there when they when they came back, man. I, I was there when it I happened. Think you get it? Well, I hope your energon levels are topped off because when the AllSpark calls, not even my little ponies are safe. Joe Patrick, who are the robots in disguise attacking first in your pile? Not even the Marvel Universe can avoid. Nope, that's bad. Mm, I am bad at this. Yeah. <laughs> I set you it, up. You can just start if you want. It's Transformers number three, Matt. Thanks for asking. It's from Marvel Comics. 1984 was the year. The cover price was 75 cents. It's written by Jim Salakrup with art by Frank Springer. Inks by Kim DeMolder and Mike Esposito and colors by Nell Yamtov. Uh, I, I gave a, a, a mention to the extended creative team, which I don't always do, but I think in this case it matters you're gonna call him out i mean look shit. it always it always <laughs> matters but i mean like what's the, like pointing out the name of a colorist on a 30 year old comic that seems kind of anyway here is uh the story thus far the autobots and decepticons have established beachheads in the united states 
Uh, both of them, oddly, in the Pacific Northwest, pretty close to one another. Yeah, and the Decepticons right. are also not hiding at all. Like they're, they're not. No, their hideout no. is just like stuck to a mountain, <laughs> and it's right. Big. And the, I mean, and the only reason the GI Joes are hiding is because that's where the Ark crashed. Right. Like that's just this is where it is. You mean the Autobots? The Autobots, yes. Yeah. Pardon me. They are ready to pick up their civil war where they left off on Cybertron, but both sides are dangerously low on energon. And the U.S. Army is about ready to shoot first and sort the good robot invaders from the bad later. Unfortunately for the Autobots, the Decepticons have kidnapped one human that may turn the tide of the war in their favor. A service station mechanic named Spartplug Witwicky. 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 <laughs> that is something. Apologies but, to all the Witwickies that are listening right now. <laughs> uh, hey, look, that was Shia LaBeouf's character's name. He was Spike Witwicky yeah. in, the, in the movies. But everyone's favorite wall-crawling menace has been dispatched to the PNW to take pictures of the event for the Daily Bugle. Surely the day is saved. Spoilers, it is not saved. The original run of Transformers Comics had four main writers over the course of its 80-issue run, and half of them came and went before the initial four-part miniseries was over. <laughs> it's Jim Salakrup's turn at bat this issue, and he does a pretty decent job. There are a lot of weird... Uh, TV, movie, comedy type asides like, whoa, the Sarge ain't going to believe this one. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Like when the like when the Pelican looks at the camera in the Flintstones and says, it's a living, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Uh, or Nick Fury makes a joke about Godzilla showing up. I believe it was a toucan uh, that looked at the camera. Uh, well, that. yeah, you know, a toucan. He played the record with his beak. You know? Yes, right. It's, and it was a living. Yeah. Uh, but there's also a lot of effort put into character work. Sparkplug, his son Buster, uh, who was not uh, like on the cartoon, his name, uh, the character is Spike and he's little. This is Buster. He's a teenager. And I think that they would later establish that Spike is his brother. I oh, um, I think Buster is Spike and Buster. No, no, no. The, Spike is uh, no Buster uh, in the comics, in the Marvel comics they did introduce a spike and Buster is a separate character. Okay. I didn't know if like Buster was his real name and Spike. No, no, no. I was very, I was very confused. Spike Whitwick. No, no, no. Uh, I was very confused by this as a kid because when I got the comics, the, by the time I got my hands on the comic, the cartoon was out and I was like, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't the character's name. And also why is he a teenager? Like in the show, he's a little kid. Uh, so, yeah, Sparkplug, Buster, and their friends have fully formed personalities that we see a glimpse of here but are present throughout the miniseries. Uh, Spider-Man sounded like Spider-Man, and I heard the voices of many of the Transformers voice actors as I read their words on the page. I mean, you know, it's – it they they at least – Optimus Prime kind of felt like Optimus Prime, you know? Yeah, no. And Salakrup actually has Sparkplug comment on how ridiculous it is that the Decepticons think – a gas station mechanic would be capable of converting gasoline into energy, <laughs> uh, which I will like, I rem- as I started the comic and I was like, Oh, right. They kidnapped Sparkplug. Why did they kidnap Sparkplug? Well, like to the, oh, my, to the credit- oh my God, they want him to make energon. He is a mechanic. But like to the credit of the Decepticons, they don't necessarily know that. They, they don't get like, it. Well, yeah, you work like, on right. this stuff. Just make it go. Like, you know, they're like, he, they think he's an ex, he's an expert on right. fuel. Right. And, uh, 
you know, by the time I got to this part in the comic where they actually explain why it's ridiculous, it all made sense to me in a way that didn't as a kid. Yeah. Uh, They are so far advanced that they can't comprehend how relatively primitive earthlings really are. And that a guy that works at a service station and a guy that, you know, a propulsion engineer or whatever those people are called that refine gasoline or come up with fuel types. They are not the same thing. <laughs> the art by Frank Springer and the aforementioned friends is uh, troublesome. On one <laughs> hand, uh, there's a lot to like about some of the figure drawing uh, of the humans and Springer does a fine job illustrating the distinct transformer designs, but the inks are way too heavy yeah. and the color palette for the Decepticons is way too dark. So a lot of it looks like a muddled mess. Plus the proportional relationships between the transformers, the humans and the environment are way off. Yeah. Most of the time causing some pretty hilarious layouts. Like there is one scene, Matt and I went back and forth between our first two uh, books last night, uh, just sharing different like screenshots of like, Look at this shit. There's a scene where the Autobots are standing with Buster outside of the service station where Sparkplug was kidnapped. There's a crater in the ground. And judging by the relationship of where the characters are located in that space, a Buster is about 30 feet tall and the Transformers are like six stories tall. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's ridiculous. Look, the original Transformers miniseries isn't great, but Marvel was basically making the lore up as they went along. And I ate it up as a kid. Seeing them inserted into the Marvel Universe blew my mind back then. It was fun revisiting it today. Like props for a pretty dark ending. Like they didn't, I don't think they knew. Well, they had to have known this close to the end. This was supposed to be a four issue miniseries and very famously Transformers was converted it was promoted from a mini to an ongoing so when number five came out it said number five of a four issue miniseries on the cover (laughs) uh and then the final issue said number 80 of a five of a four issue miniseries (laughs) uh like it was so it was so fun what they did and uh the book was a huge success and a huge hit and i loved it as a kid like one of the transformers dies in this issue which is crazy um and it and the miniseries ends with all of the Autobots getting blown to smithereens yeah. uh, by uh, Shockwave. And uh, like it's it's serious business to a kid. Uh, I'm giving this a skim it because I had a lot of fun going back to it, but a lot of the execution is pretty bad. I don't disagree that the execution was bad, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit with the next book I'm going to talk about. But I almost have to wonder if just like no one was ready to draw giant robots because like the only other Marvel giant robot project was Shogun Warriors. And I remember or like Red Ronin showing up in Avengers. Right. That kind of of thing. When we reviewed that, we had a lot of the same problems where just like they just weren't ready for this job. And and everybody was drawing superheroes, you know, and now you've got to draw robots the whole time. Like there's a reason why the character Rom was created the way he was, very blocky and silver and easy to draw. But you also draw he's man-sized. Lot. He's also man-sized, but you will have to draw yeah. him a lot, is what I'm saying. Yes. Now you have to draw several different robots that transform all the time. And lucky for you, you get to draw the black Spider-Man, so you don't have to go too nuts with that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 
<laughs> I bet that Frank Springer was just like, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, like I am um, drawing I, the black Spider-Man. <laughs> I, I, will, I will say this real quick because I meant to mention it, but I forgot to write it down. Um, I did like how Frank Springer illustrated the transforming like um yeah you know how you know how they show the flash running and you see those like silhouettes of the ghost flash totally um they did that where it's like arms move arms move arms move transformer right and uh i thought that that was very clever i'm gonna give this a skimming as well and i'll go more into these thoughts after my first review because uh, uh, it's very uh, close one, to where this it's very close to this issue. So yeah, uh, and then one last spoiler in case you were worried that uh, Spark Plug betrayed humanity. It was all a trick. Uh, he he poisoned the fuel that he gave the Decepticons. And oh, uh, spoiler they, alert! Come on, man. Yeah, that's it. No, that's it. Number four. <laughs> and, yeah, and and uh, yeah. So like they, they they at the end of this issue, they think that Spark Plug betrayed them. Uh, turns out he put a whammy on them and uh, let the Autobots win right before they all got annihilated. There you go. Vader, the Decepticons must be alerted. Dad! Dad, don't! Must sound alarm! No! Next up for me is G.I. Joe versus Transformers. Let's get into our first crossover battle with G.I. Joe versus Transformers, number one. From Marvel, 1987. This was written by Michael Higgins with art by Herb Trimpey. And let me tell you, I do not think Mr. Trimpey was happy to be here, quite honestly. Now, look, I'm like, his art, like the human stuff is fine. That's not the problem. (laughs) No, I get it. (laughs) The story opens outside Fort Lewis in Seattle, Washington, the temporary base of the world's first mobile solar slash nuclear power station. It does both. <laughs> Wait, and it's mobile. What? And it's mobile. It can transform. The Joes are acting as security for the power plant and Senator Larkin, who looks like a hotter Nancy Reagan. Zartan's thugs, the Dreadnoughts, are in the crowd with an otherwise peaceful anti-nuclear power protest getting ready to start some crap. The Transformers have been hanging out with their crash ship, the Ark, which seems to have crashed inside of a mountain <laughs> at nearby Mount St. Hillary, Oregon. They also know about the power station, and they fear the Decepticons may try to take it over. So, Optimus sends Bumblebee to check it out and report back. The Dreadnoughts attack, but the Joes repel them, and they flee into heavy traffic where they can't be caught. Meanwhile, Bumblebee shows up just in time for two Decepticons to make an appearance and use mind control to make a kid walk in front of the giant tank treads on the power station. Like I mentioned, it's also a giant transformer because why wouldn't you want a nuclear power station that flies around? Right, they could, you could <laughs> right? possibly lose track of. Uh, yeah. Now the Joes have never seen a transformer, so after Bumblebee saves the kid, they murder him. They literally blow him apart. <laughs> yeah. I remember this comic book hitting the stands at my local drugstore just a year after Transformers the movie, and the same year as G.I. Joe the movie, this was peak Joe Transformers fandom for a young Matt Bomb, and the creative team paid attention to all the kids that were horribly traumatized by the death of Optimus Prime in the first five minutes of the film, so they murder Bumblebee on the second to the last page here, and I couldn't believe it. It was on the cover, and I still... Did not think they would do it as a kid. Spoilers, he gets better. Well, yeah, he comes back as Goldbug. Yeah. 
Revisiting the comic, I didn't realize this was part of the Marvel Transformers continuity, quite honestly, but it definitely is. It's referencing stuff going on in Transformers 23. Higgins' story is actually well thought out, comes up with a solid idea for the crossover, and uses Bumblebee's death to really up the stakes of the story. Herb Trimpey is a legend. Yeah. There are a lot of art problems here. Look, you know, we talked about this before I read mine. Right. Uh, and the art in this is way better it's, than it's, the one in Transformers number three. The people, I totally agree. The Joes well, look I great. Think even the robots look better. But his Transformers are even boxier and, and they're just well, weird. Yeah, they're, bo- they're pretty boxy. There's a panel I, I, on page 14 where Bumblebee, the car, looks like it's a monster truck. It's so gigantic. It's the perspectives are the perspectives wrong. So they are all, they all, look like what the plane that they look like they're on is is wonky yeah uh, there's all and on the very next page there's also a panel where bumblebee uh you get to see bumblebee approaching a state trooper from between the legs of the state trooper yeah. from the back and it's like what the fuck herb trippy yeah, that same page roadblock looks to be humping a tank he, he's supposed to be walking in front of it but one of his legs is behind it and he's, he's just- walking <laughs> no he's walking behind it yeah it's the line tangents are all weird super so it, it makes the perspective look very bad uh, also in that same panel we talked about this um uh, uh, scarlet's relationship to the tank that she and beachhead are riding in make it look like that make it look like Scarlet is about 15 feet tall. Right. And it's just, these comics just had to have been rushed. They had to have been, I don't know what was going on, but it certainly seems like they just fired these out as fast as they could. The fact that you mentioned there were four (sighs) writers in four issues further. There were two, there were, there were four writers in 80 issues, but they went through three of them in like the first five okay the first five three writers and five issues Uh, i mean like they settled into it and they They settled into a groove yeah and then they uh, definitely figured it uh, out right but at this point transformers was still definitely like an exercise that marvel was not used to and it is obvious art problems like three years into the relationship you know what i mean i get it Art problems aside, there is a fun story here. And it took me back to the day I read this comic and pictured these two franchises living in the same world, and I loved it. With that said, when you think about Spider-Man going to photograph this stuff in the issue you just talked about for the Daily Bugle... How are the Avengers not getting involved? In yeah, this crap, it's, you know? it's, it, <laughs> Shield. The, connect, Nick the connection Fury to the Marvel Universe has very. Um, Nick Fury shows up in that issue and he's like, "We better pay attention to this, but not too much attention. In fact, let's never talk <laughs> right, about it again." Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, the there connection are to giant the Marvel Universe is robots fighting. Very selective. Yeah. 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 Like, I mean, the Shield had a task force that they created to fight Godzilla. Right. And Nick Fury references it in Transformers number three, and there's no Transformers task force. Right. That's, that's does not have it. a Transformers task force. And Marvel I mean, was very smart about shunting this into its own little world after that and going, fine. It, yeah, we don't need to do that. Yeah, they they gave up on that And they did the same with G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe should not be in the Marvel Universe. It just doesn't need to. It doesn't make no. sense, right? No, 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 no. So right. I, I'm giving this a buy it. 
because it pushed all the buttons again when I read it. There's definitely some problems here, and I guarantee Trimpy was pissed off he had to draw this many robots. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I mean, this is a buy it from me, too. I thought that this was, uh, like, I had never read this. Uh, um, I, I remember the cover distinctly with Bubblebee blowing yeah. up. I, I never read the story, and I thought it was fun. I thought the art was good. I, and yes, it's got a lot of problems in terms of like perspective, the same things we talked about. But as far as the line work is better, the, the coloring, same guy, Nel Yamtov, better. Yeah. For some reason, it's it's somehow better. I, In three years, he got his shit together. That or um, they just, like, they were starting to just figure it out. The, or th- they they gave him model sheets and then like, I look, I think man. this was a real art challenge for these guys. Oh, no, I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But yeah, this is a buy it. I, I liked this. I, I thought it was, uh, problems aside, I thought it was a lot. Of- we shall return home with the power to build the ultimate weapon and conquer the universe. Starscream! I'm just saying goodbye! Matt, I swore we'd never go back, but we did it. We're back in Marvel UK. Oh, I burned my passport. (laughs) Oh, it's Transformers UK number 113. That wasn't really the name of it, but that's the only way we have to distinguish the two. Sure. It's from Marvel UK. Uh, It came out in 1987. The price is 32 pence or a dollar US. Uh, It's written by Simon Furman, art by Jeff Sr. Here's the story thus far. Following the defeat of Galvatron and the planet-eating Unicron in Transformers the movie, Rodimus Prime has put out a bounty on Galvatron, and Death's Head, a quote-unquote freelance peacekeeping agent, is looking to collect. Simon Furman is the writer that kept the fires burning for Transformers comics following the cancellation of the American series, but what I did not know until I did some research is that he was pulling double duty at this point in time, writing both books. Oh my God. When in 1987, Simon Furman was writing the weekly Transformers UK magazine, or I think their magazine format. I don't know. Um, and the American Transformers comic book at the same time. Oh my God. He had to have been single, <laughs> right? I, I don't know. Uh, now the, the, the I British mean, Transformers. You could sustain a relationship with a heroin habit early, easier than uh, writing I two mean, Transformers comic books. <laughs> he was married to the job, Matt. And he's married to the job. Dear Lord. Uh, now the, the UK issues were shorter, only 15 pages in total, but still every week. It came out pages. weekly. Yeah, right. But. Uh, anyway, Furman spent his time on the UK series establishing personalities for existing characters that uh, would become the norm in the American series and creating new characters altogether like a giant freelance peacekeeper named Death's Head. After DH gets the scoop on the situation from a robo bartender, he heads to Cybertron to beat the location of their missing boss out of Galvatron's lieutenants. He takes his hand off. And puts on his spiked mace yeah. attachment his beaten and beats hand. the shit out of Scourge <laughs> and the other one. It's like great. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so good. This comic was fantastic. I knew that Furman was basically the Larry Hama of Transformers for a lot of years, but I had no idea how much personality he infused into the characters. He did not create the characters no. in the same way that Hama did, you know, by writing the backgrounds for all of the uh, file cards and stuff. But a lot of these characters, especially when the line expanded into like movie characters and, and, you know, every year there was a new batch of like cassette tapes and whatever. 
Furman created personalities for those characters that didn't exist. Uh, and Death's Head, of course, is a blast. Yeah. And I was so happy to see him uh, be more than a match for the Decepticons. He shows up on Cybertron on their home turf and just whips their asses. Yes, he's a total badass. He, he's like Steven Seagal walking into a bar yeah. full of the Rastafarian yeah. bad guys and like puts the pool ball in the sock and just whips the shit out of a bunch of Decepticons. <laughs> so, yeah, so was, uh, out, uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Sr.'s art is great as well. It's full of life and movement from characters that I'm used to seeing as stacks of emotionless boxes. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's hard to get, yeah. it's hard to emote and get a sense of motion from angular for sure creatures that only sometimes have a face even transformers UK one thirteen was a total surprise. And I think I might actually make time to read more of it based on what I saw in this issue, at least this death's head storyline, because in this, at the end of this issue, he goes back in time. Uh, so they, from what I read, there are simultaneously two timelines going in the Transformers UK comic at yeah. the time, uh, because everybody had jumped forward to the movie, but Simon Furman was like, no, I want him to go fight Megatron. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. This is a huge buy it. I loved it. Yeah. I, I have read about the magic that Simon Furman, created with these transformers uk comics and i really have never read any of it and reading this was just a total blast i had no idea what i was in for and this was so much fun and i kind of can't believe this isn't reprinted somewhere in like some giant collection i mean marvel doesn't have the rights it's just nuts i don't know i don't know how it works with uh internationally too on top of it this was so much better than the Marvel stuff we read <laughs> just and yeah. talked about just now. This was friggin' like, great. Look, like the, the Marvel, to, to the credit of the Marvel comic, it does get better over time. Sure. There's a reason why it was a success. It does, and I read it. I read that whole run. I loved Transformers. Yeah, I, I read a bunch, uh, like, big chunks of it, and I loved it at the time. But it was always, like, deadly serious and doing its it thing. It was. And that's what and I, it's ex- a, that's what I right, expected and it's to always do. Like, this was oh, we have the the humans. We have to protect the right. humans. It's the it's always the same. The characters sound right, quote unquote, but that's just because they sound like they are in the cartoon. Sure, they have no personality otherwise. This was and oozing. This was nothing but personality. Yeah, oozing with personality. I loved it. Massive buy. Hey, I'm stuck. I can't transform. Oh, thanks. I think. Well, Joe, the Transformers didn't cross over with anyone else for a long damn time. So we are (laughs) leaping to the year 2007 for New Avengers Transformers, number one from Marvel. It was written by Stuart Moore, your favorite New Avengers writer at the time, with art (laughs) by Tyler Kirkham. Here's your solicit, because we're back in solicit territory now. Yeah, thank God. It's time to assemble and roll out what in the world could you unite Earth's mightiest heroes and the Autobots, maybe the Decepticons, and Dr. Doom? No! War is about to break out on the border between Latveria and Simcaria, like it is always constantly doing, unless two unique teams of heroes can unravel a dark mystery. That is, if they don't destroy each other first. Wonka waka. Uh, real quick, I just, before we move on, I want to say this beautiful Jim Chung cover. Oh, yeah. It's a very rude 
bait and switch. It does the comic uh, a serious disservice. <laughs> um, but on the other on the other hand, I did really enjoy seeing the old IDW light bulb logo, which yeah. uh, which they got rid of. They don't use that ago. anymore. It's fun. No. Back in 2007, Marvel's Civil War was still raging, and all things Avengers were hot as hell with two monthly titles, New Avengers and The Mighty Avengers. Oh, and Dark Avengers was on the horizon for 2008. Marvel couldn't print enough Avengers comics, so of course the time was right for Bendis's talky infighting heroes to team up with the Transformers. More script doesn't pay any attention to the current state of the split Avengers team in the wake of Civil War, but does mention that Iron Man is busy. <laughs> While Spidey, Wolverine, Luke Cage... I mean, he's convenient, right? Yeah, like, it's almost like Moore wasn't really sure what was happening. <laughs> so he's like, oh, Iron Man I mean, can't but, be here. I don't know why. they. But wouldn't I mean, also... <laughs> Captain America is talking to Maria Hill. So like this is not Yeah, I they all When I know, does this take place? They don't quite mention that. Spidey, Wolverine, Luke Cage, and Cap check out brewing hostilities on the Simcarian and Latvarian border. The team discovers a very Cybertronian looking structure and a bunch of busted Doombots. So of course they sneak in by having Luke Cage. Punch a hole in the wall. <laughs> it's he's sneaky. Yeah. Um. Also, just a quick, quick application of demerits uh, for Tyler Kirkham not getting the memo that Luke Cage should always be drawn with a goatee. I totally agree. Just come on, man. Of course, it's Megatron and the gang who this time have built a giant mad bomb, essentially, that makes people insane with anger. So the Avengers spend the bulk of the issue threatening to kill each other, which I at first thought was just completely bizarre dialogue. But apparently more had a plan here. The Autobots don't show up until very late in the story, and no attempts are made to massage them into the Marvel U whatsoever. They're just here to fight the Decepticons in Latveria. For some reason, Kirkham draws the Autobots as, like, shady figures when they first appear, as if they weren't on the goddamn cover, and we can't tell they're Transformers by their silhouette alone. <laughs> the rest of Kirkham's art is... Yeah, right. Right? <laughs> The rest of Kirkham's art is very 90s Leafield inspired and features the worst looking Silver Sable in cameos I have seen. Uh, she looks rough, man. Well, I oh mean, look, God. she's at war with Latveria. She doesn't have time to get a blowout. Yeah, did she have a really bad lip job done too? Because there's one where know. she looks like a Rick and Morty character, which is like. <laughs> <laughs> His art has come a long way since 2007, and this is by no means terrible, but it's definitely not good. It's, it's, it's terrible. I'll, I'll say it. It's terrible. Of course, issue one ends with the obligatory good guys from one company have to fight the other good guys before from the other company before they team up shtick, which led me to wonder if the shit came down. Could this Avengers squad, and by the way, Falcon and Miss Marvel show up too, hold their own against Prowl, Ratchet, Optimus Prime, Jazz, and Bumblebee? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that they could, <laughs> quite honestly. Well, I mean, Wolverine can take down Sentinels by himself. I, I mean, so. I don't know. I, like he, has, I, he usually has a little help there, but that's one Sentinel. 
I mean, have Luke Cage fastball special him up to Optimus Prime Sentinels space. Sentinels you know? aren't sentient either. They're destroy mutants, whatever. Like, these are right. smart no, I get it. thinking, you know, jive talking robots and shit. I am giving this a skim it. I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm giving this a skim it. It's not good. <laughs> it no, it's a means. leave it. This comic book is bad. You're right. It's a leave it. It's a, I, it's I mean, a leave it. Look, I, you're being generous. You're trying to be nice. And I applaud I you. That normally that normally that's my job. But like, look, I, I don't want to be mean, but on a personal level, I have never enjoyed Tyler Kirkham as an artist. Fair enough. And when he hit the scene in the early 2000s, I actively disliked his. You gotta art. Like, admit, I was he's like, got. No, I don't like. He this. got a lot better. He has gotten better. Yes, he's gotten better. I agree. But this comic book does not look good. No. It really um. The, I mean, the Transformers look fine, but again, they're boxy, and everybody knows what they look like. Yeah, the Transformers. Um, I would argue don't look bad at all here. No, I, I don't. Yeah, it, it's uh, right. Uh, of all of the, of all of the problems with the art, the Transformers are the least. Right. Them. Um, it's I, I'm just heaving uh, chest and like bird beak nose and uh, yeah, right. Like, it's uh, it's just uh, uh, yeah yeah. It's it's too early '90s image knockoff. Ten years after the fact. Yeah. And I just don't like. I don't care for it. And the story is whatever. I like. It's like it, that's one of the things about and we'll talk about at the end these crossovers like i just need them to do a certain thing and that thing is just give me some reason why they're there just and and i'll go right. okay all right there is no goddamn reason why the transformers are here i mean like and i, I look i get it it's a thankless it's a thankless task writing an intercompany sure. crossover sure. because you can't you have two options well, you wait, can either save, make a point to us save this for the end because oh, yes, i'll about save this it thing. for the end yeah um, but yeah, the, like the shady silhouette thing killed me. It's like, you don't think I know what Wheeljack right. looks like? Right, like, oh shit. I, I know I what know Wheeljack this, looks like. I didn't know this was a Transformers crossover. <laughs> right, it's like, <laughs> get the uh, f*** out of here. But yeah, it, like the Avengers just look off yeah. brand, you yeah. know? I, like, I didn't like this. Uh, Stuart Moore, Stuart Moore is one of the, um, creators that came over from Vertigo. He had been an editor at Vertigo, much like Axel Alonso. And uh, uh, and other creators that went on to do other things. It, he became a writer, and I've never been a huge fan of his writing. Yeah, it, like it's fine. The best I can say about it is that it is okay. Right. He seems um, like one of those guys that like can do the job. And period. yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, you know. I'm, I'm giving this a leave it. I, it was disappointing. Yeah. You know, and also it it's Transformers. Yes, check. New Avengers. Well, kinda. You get a half a point because it is the characters from New Avengers, yes. But are they the New Avengers? Does this take place in the right in a vague in a vague time space related to the okay? New and, Avengers? Th- and that's another no. thing. You're right. It like why not just do Transformers Avengers if we're not paying attention and it doesn't matter? And like obviously Civil War is raging and like you said, Cap is talking to Maria Hill and shit. If we're not paying attention then just give us the goddamn Avengers. Just do Thor and Cap and, you know. Yes, right. Exactly. the beast in there. Who cares? Yeah, no, 100%. I agree. Like, this one read like a cash grab to me. It's like, ooh, this is popular. Let's do it. Um, It's also curious. Like, uh, I'm surprised to see that IDW had the Transformers license this early. 2007. Yeah. They've Um, had it since like 2004, I think. Dreamwave only had it a few years then, I guess. Yeah, barely. Editor's note, IDW got the Transformers license in 2005. 
They simply don't make terrorists like they used to. Matt, I know that the Transformers stopped crossing over with people until 2007, but they couldn't quit G.I. Joe. No, they couldn't. They just couldn't do it. <laughs> G.I. Joe, a real American hero, 142. It's from Marvel. The year was 1993. The cover price was $1.25. It's written by Larry Hama. And for art, I wrote, man, I don't even know. Because... <laughs> The credits box is so confusing that I could not decipher which name did which job. Yeah. I stared at it for what seemed like an eternity. I don't know that it's they a, knew, to be perfectly honest. It's a it's a it's a list of names. It's a list of uh let's see, two artists, three inkers, three letterers. Right. It's a list of eight names and three jobs. And dotted lines placed randomly between the two so you don't know who did what. Also, it's no one that's famous. So they may have just come to me and like, you're all fired. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. It's, <laughs> like, who did that? Like, I don't know. Just throw their names in there. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. The story thus far, uh, there is a lot going on here. Megatron has been rebuilt by Cobra scientists into something that somehow surpasses his original Cybertronian technology. And he's green. Wow, you think they'd have just, <laughs> uh, they think you'd, you'd have thought they'd have just all done that from the jump, but no. Cobra Commander is still obsessed with real estate for some reason. Scarlet pretended to betray the Joes and join Cobra, but somehow forgot to tell her friends. And Gen 1 OG Braun shows up with a bunch of Protectobots that somehow forget to combine into their giant form <laughs> and end the conflict in two seconds. You're acting like the plot doesn't come into play here, sir. All right. It doesn't, Matt. It doesn't. Uh, now, when the Constructicons, who individually are relatively minor inconveniences to the likes of Optimus Prime or whomever on the Autobot side, when they assemble and Ernest Borgnine goes... Devastator. You know that the shit is going down. Oh, yeah. Like, they only included four of the five Protectobots just as so they have a continuity reason why they could not assemble into their giant whatever they are. Defensor. Uh, Defensor. Defensor. He's Thank a you. badass. <laughs> Look, uh, I'm not going to ding this issue for not really understanding the plot. This is part four of a story I knew what I was getting into. Well, the Defensor thing is kind of lame though <laughs> well i mean you know, no like that's just not knowing the plot up till this point is one thing right having completely nonsensical things happen is a total another thing uh this is part four of a story i knew what i was getting into this was a dark time for both the transformers yeah. and gi joe and poor larry hama did his best yeah trying to make it work everything is either extreme decked in neon a ninja or somehow all three at once yep the character designs for the G.I. Joe characters are terrible across the board, with the exception of Cobra Commander and, for some reason, Zorana, who are more or less the same as always. It's not in this issue. I, I, I was going to read the first chapter of this story, but oh, like Megatron only shows up at the very end, and it wasn't a good example. But Zartan shows up, and he is, he's got probably the worst character redesign I have ever seen right and zartan He's was got so a, cool 
Why would you do this? It, it's like, it's, you know, I, I, you know I, just, sucks? I don't get it. Jason from Friday the 13th. We got to do something with that character design. You know, like, oh, right. I know what yeah, you do. No. Let's give him an Indian headdress. You know, <laughs> like, no. Right. right. <laughs> Why? Yeah. Like, I, I think I think we should give Zartan a bright orange mohawk. Right. Uh, just, change uh, the color of his face paint and put him in a sleeveless jean vest. You already have a mohawk guy on that team, by the way. It's Come uh, on. it's awful, awful. Uh, but, you know, good news, that's not this issue. The characters, though, are all still terribly ugly. On the Transformer side, we're on the precipice of Generation 2. In fact, that's the point of this whole crossover. With Megatron's redesign and the wholesale slaughter of the protective bots. Uh, spoiler alert, the new Megatron is much stronger than they remember. Yeah. Also, there is a scientist hilariously named Dr. Biggles Jones. <laughs> Biggles hyphen Jones. And if you thought Dr. Una Malarkey got name dropped a lot, uh, Larry Hama mentions her name in the script as many times as he possibly can. Well, maybe Miss Biggles didn't want to give up her married name, okay? She's a, you know. Look, she's she, a didn't go through woman. Eight years, <laughs> she didn't go through eight years of evil medical school to be referred to as Mrs. Biggles Jones, okay? The Megatron plot is continued in the pages of Transformers Generation 2, number one, but that is not advertised in this issue at all, so good luck. I did the research so you don't have to, uh, which, again, uh, I would not recommend because, uh, spoilers, I am not recommending that you read this comic. The art by... We'll call them various. Yeah. Goes from competently awkward to stylistically interesting, sort of for a second, to mind numbingly bad, as though this comic had been given to a group of aliens who had never seen a human being before to assemble piecemeal like a Mad Lib. Now, I will say this the colors are great. <laughs> Bright, bold, and clear, a far cry from the muddiness of the 80s comics that I complained about a few minutes ago. The coloring is is amazing. It's it's very nice for a 90s comic. Uh, G.I. Joe 142 is a very bad comic book about a very bad time for two beloved franchises. Larry Hama deserved better than this. I'm giving this a leave it with extreme prejudice. It's like I was angry after yeah. I was done. This is pure garbage. And, and this is like right around the downfall of G.I. Joe the comic. And I think this just pangs of nobody wanted to draw this. So we just grabbed anybody who was willing to yeah. work on it to finish this issue and just crap it out and you want to talk about a bad redesign sure that's our tan thing sucked the snake eyes in this book oh my <laughs> god first of all he's wearing white he looks like deathstroke <laughs> like this is i mean terrible. i don't think he is i don't to be fair, I don't think he's wearing white. I think it's the it's supposed to be the reflection of the light on his very shiny costume, Maybe. which is a problem in itself. God, it's just but Storm so Shadow. Bad. Storm Shadow is wearing a Storm Shadow is a wearing a ninja outfit with a gradient that goes from white to black, but the gradient yeah is like computer pixels. It's so bad. why he is a ninja. Yeah, and it's Ugh. just like they were flailing at this point, and I get it. And the comic wasn't selling like it used to, and that's fine. But maybe it was time to let it go. This is a complete. Yeah, I mean, it, like, leave it. This is just it's garbage. And and you could just see editorial working here. Like ah, I don't know. Bring back the Transformers. Maybe that'll fire this up. I don't know. We gotta do something. Yeah, I mean, and like <laughs> like look, they had to have been at Hasbro's whim for some of this it's like 
they can't just tell stories about Duke and Scarlet anymore now because now Hasbro wants to pimp Eco Force and yeah. the, the 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 portion of the line where everybody was an astronaut for some reason and like what stop it and Ninja just Force don't forget Ninja it. Force no Ninja Force yeah this would have been right around the time of Ninja <laughs> yeah, Force man. Uh, and yeah it's it's bad man oh, it's bad trash this is your new office now give me some military advice you don't understand Mac I only know football plays. Joe, let's jump to a Transformers crossover that actually makes sense. The X-Files conspiracy number one, (laughs) Transformers from IDW. This was 2014. It's written by Paul Criley with art by Diraj Verma. Here's your solicit. When the lone gunmen discover internet files from the future, they learn that a plague will soon wipe out most of humanity. Let's just stop there for a second. How do they... no, it's from the future. <laughs> Come on, they're just files, you know. Like, Unim- unimportant. Well, right. Matt, they're X. They're this X is like, files. This Matt. is like that girl that's on TikTok right now telling people that ancient Rome didn't exist. You know, like okay. <laughs> With agents Mulder and Scully working one lead, the gunmen must spring into action and investigate several urban legends: a group of ghost hunters, mutant turtles that live in the sewers, shape-changing alien robots, and a vengeful spirit from beyond the grave. The X-Files interacts with the Ghostbusters, Transformers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and the Crow. Oh, no shit. That's what you were talking about? Thanks, guys. (laughs) The idea of the lone gunman investigating ridiculous conspiracy theories like living robots hiding amongst us is great, and it works really well with the other properties, too. Unfortunately... This creative team is just doing a little too much here. The story did not need the plot of an evil company in the future unleashing an engineered plague at all. And what sense does it make that three internet nerds are not only kicking in doors and arresting people, but shooting up corporate headquarters, too. They're on the phone with Agent Fox Mulder of the FBI more than once, mind you. So it takes some real plot forcing to keep this moving along without any FBI involvement. The art is okay, but it gets a little wonky with some faces, and the Transformers look very Michael Bay extreme here. For the most part, the book is very dark, and it works better in those scenes. When the action starts, the posing in the anatomy gets plain old bad. I love the lone gunmen, and the best part of them on the show was they were usually very helpful to Mulder in the background. They do not work as action heroes, and this might have been a lot more fun had the writer just avoided the big Michael Bay action to tell the story of that time the lone gunman found out the Transformers existed. I was going to give this a skim it because there were moments of it I've kind of liked that were very X-Files, and and I kind of liked Bumblebee talking to the one guy, but the more I think about it, the more this is a leave it. There's some serious art problems. I don't need the lone gunman firing guns and blowing shit up. That's just not what they should be doing. I'm giving this a leave it. Yeah, I mean... There was a time, and I'm not going to... Boy, it does sure look like Optimus Prime and Bumblebee are slaughtering these guys. Uh, I'm, I'm looking back through the I'm looking back through the comic. I'm not going to blame the writer for the plot, uh, because IDW 
did this more than once where they uh, decided that they were going to have a property or pardon me, a crossover with all of their licensed properties. I'm okay with the um, plot. It's, it's the, where the story went that sure. Yeah. But yeah, like Frohickey shooting a machine gun is stupid right. or Langley. I'm sorry. Um, you just, know, it's, it's very dumb. Just have them um, discover that there are robots living amongst us and, and, and have this amazing moment. And guess what? No one's going to believe them because they're the far out conspiracy nuts, the lone gunman. Right. You know, that's right. that's where the magic is. Not in them blowing up corporate headquarters for a plague that will be released in the future. And it, OK, there is a plague that is coming. Right. They are talking to Fox Mulder, who works for the FBI. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. They know this shit is real. <laughs> Why is yeah. the military not involved? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's true. I mean, and you know, to be fair, maybe they show up in future chapters. I don't know. I don't know where this is in the scheme of the conspiracy con the storyline. They do not. Um, but uh, okay, all right. As far as the art goes, I thought the art was okay. Um, it does get wonky. Yeah. The Transformers, they are the Generation 1 designs, but they're much more... Um, it's very Michael Bay. Like, yeah. he, he puts a lot more detail into them than you might be used to seeing. And uh, so they do kind of come off a little bit, a little bayish. Um, I actually really liked uh, the effect of them transforming where you can actually see their pieces coming apart. But they are also a far cry from the, like, shapeless blobs of the Michael Bay movies yeah. where you like literally cannot tell right. like what is, is that, a, is that a, your knee? Are a, those your testicles? Just a blur of technology basically. Right. Yeah. I'll give this a leave it just because like, I can't imagine reading this and then wanting to read anything else. Yeah. Like the next chapter is the crow. So, and again, if they, the transformers couldn't win you over right, they, and the lone gunman, then they could have done something you. really special there where these guys found this thing and they were trying to tell Mulder and he was like, uh huh. Okay. You know, but ugh, they just went too far. Yeah. They did too no, much. No, IDW just, they, they tried too hard for too long to make a share universe with these properties happen right and I, i'm kind of glad that they knocked it off for the most part you are either lying or you're stupid i'm stupid i'm stupid speaking of idw which you know is going to be a theme for the rest of the her review session here transformers ghostbusters number one it's from 2019 it's 3.99 cover price it's written by eric burnham with art by dan shoning and here's your solicit Ghosts of Cybertron Part 1. After years of civil war, the Autobots fled Cybertron, leaving their home planet in the evil clutches of Megatron and his Decepticons. Years later and millions of miles away, the Autobots pick up a Cybertronian distress signal from a mysterious planet called Earth. The ghostly signal shouldn't exist, and it'll bring Optimus Prime and his team, including brand new Autobot Ectotron. I think that's supposed to be Ectotron with an N, not Ectotro. Face-to-face -face with... <laughs> The Ghostbusters. This doesn't make any sense because they just met the lone gunman like five years ago. Wait, what do you mean they've never been uh, Yeah, right. You look, yeah. <laughs> what the hell's going on? <laughs> uh, it's best not to think about it. What this solicit fails to mention is that this is an alternate version of Transformers history. The Decepticons and all of Cybertron are destroyed right after the departure of the Autobots. Buckle up. By Gozer the Gozerian. Jeez, Gozer's a badass, dude. Come on. <laughs> I know. I cackled. I cackled when I saw robotic versions of Gozer, Zool, and Vince Clortho step out of their little portal house 
and tell the Decepticons to choose the form of their destructor. <laughs> it is a clever twist on the familiar Transformers story that explains why in the Ghostbusters IDW verse, uh, how they have never heard of the Transformers. Like the, they never made it to Earth. Uh, this issue was created by the regular Ghostbusters creative team. So their take on that team is on point as always. The Transformers were pretty much on par with their cartoon counterparts, but I did wish that Burnham had given them uh, a little bit more personality. Yeah. Like I was craving after reading that Simon Furman comic. Dan Schoening's art is great and he seems at home drawing robots in disguise and cartoony humans alike. Uh, the cartoon, the humans are very cartoony. Just be prepared. It is not photorealistic. We somehow missed reviewing this series on the show when it came out a couple years ago, which is a good thing because otherwise we would have had to review another of the six different GI Joe crossovers that the Transformers have had over the years. Yeah. Transformers Ghostbusters number one is a lot of fun, and I would recommend it to old school fans of either franchise. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah. So IDW was, is, did a few of these, and I'm about to talk about one next, but it was just kind yeah. of like animated sort of uh, world where it's like there was an animated Ghostbusters, there was an animated Transformers, so we'll just kind of mash them up together. And this is what happened in that reality, and that's all you need to do. That's all you need to do yeah, to sell yeah, me there's the There's no continuity here. No. You don't have to worry about like that time they met Spider-Man or right. that time they met uh, Pro Hickey or and Langley. They've, and They've always been here. Fuck off. Yeah, no, no none of that shit. <laughs> it's just it. like, no, this is a what if where the Autobots haven't made it to Earth yet. Yeah. The Decepticons got destroyed. And uh, yeah, guess what? Guess what? Gozer, uh, Gozer, Gozer's intergalactic. I do, so. I do agree that the Ghostbusters were really well written because this is written by the Ghostbusters team. The Transformers, yeah. meh, not so much. I mean, they sounded like the cartoon characters, yeah, which I get like as uh, like it, it sounds like a complaint, but really, like that's what they were working with. Yeah, you know? that's those were the personalities they had. But the art was good. I'm giving this a buy it as well. Doctor, you are a man of curious habits, but I have never known you to nap on the laboratory floor. Take us home. Put phasers to stun and our misery. Let's stay on the animated IDW track here and go with Star Trek versus Transformers number one from IDW. This was 2018. It's written by John Barber and Mike Johnson with art by Philip Murphy. Here's your solicit. For decades in the making, it's the crossover that fans have demanded. Kirk, Spock, and Autobots, Decepticons and Klingons, Optimus Prime, and the Prime Directive. When Kirk, Spock, and the entire crew of the USS Enterprise investigate problems at a remote mine, they're met with an explosive battle between powerful warriors who change into vehicles from the 20th century. As the battle between Autobots and Decepticons rages, it's up to Kirk to decide... Does he violate the Prime Directive and interfere in a war that's raged for millennia? And how will the Klingons complicate the issue? It's cartoony fun between two of the most popular science fiction franchises in the world. Transformers Hall of Famer John Barber and the world's most prolific Star Trek comics writer Mike Johnson. That's true, by the way. Team up Both with, things are accurate. Team up with artist Philip Murphy and Jack Lawrence to tell an adventure that could only appear in comics. Now, whenever I go into these crossovers, I come in very skeptical, but all I need is the writers to win me over. And that starts with a good reason for both parties being there. I don't think there was a better way to set up this Star Trek Transformers book than just setting it both in the property's classic animated style. It just 
works. The Transformers are from outer space. That's where the Enterprise does its thing. Boom. Got it. <laughs> Sometimes that's all you need. That and two guys with an amazing handle on both properties involved. Barber and Johnson's story writes itself. The crew of the Enterprise happens upon a battle between Autobots and Decepticons on a remote dilithium mine, and they're curious as to what the hell is going on. Kirk meets Optimus Prime. He senses a form of consciousness. He and Spock realize there's more than meets the eye going on here. Of course, Megatron and the gang meet the Klingons, who just discovered the massive Decepticon ally Trypticon, and agree, humans suck. We should kill those guys. And once again, humanity is pulled into the Cybertronian conflict that is waged for millennium. Philip Murphy's art captures the style of the old Star Trek animated series, complete with characters like Mress, the sassy cat alien, and Eric's. His style lends itself just as well to the original 1980s animated Transformers, and the whole thing just comes together in a really slick package. This is how you do a crossover that could otherwise come off as ridiculous. You just give it to creators that love and respect the properties and let them work. This is a buy it. I read this and then I read the next three issues and it's great. The whole thing yeah. was so good. <laughs> Uh, this was this was really fun. Uh, it, you know the the art is uh, the art is so faithful to the Star Trek yeah the animated series oh, style loved it that it felt like I was watching an episode of C Lab twenty twenty one kind of yeah right where it's like uh, they've they have repurposed this art for something that it shouldn't be used for and I love it. You've got two writers that are intimately familiar with each franchise and it shows and this is a love letter to uh the gen one cartoon and the star trek cartoon and yeah it's it's so fun it's, it's exceptional a it. yeah panel of the week and it's such a small little thing but it made me giggle uncontrollably for no reason whatsoever is um soundwave riding in the cockpit of starscream in jet mode but shock, uh, Soundwave has to be in tape deck mode to yeah. fit. Yeah. So he's a tape deck sitting on the chair in the cockpit of the jet. That really made me laugh. I don't know. It's funny. Uh, yeah, I loved it. Uh, it's a buy it. Matt, we just read eight comics featuring the Transformers versing just about everyone. Which one of these crossover comics are you putting in the THN permanent collection as if I don't already know the answer? Yeah, it's Star Trek Transformers because they just did it right. And that's the thing with these these crossovers that, that we constantly run into. Like, why is this happening? Why are we doing this? You know, and like if you look at Dynamite, like, well, it's another time portal opened and suddenly Red Sonia is hanging out with... You know, uh, friggin' Barbarella, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> like, great. Right, hey, you know. yeah. Okay, this just makes sense, and they didn't force it, and it works really well, and they did it artistically in a way that works really well, too, making it look like the animated style, where you can draw this, and you don't have to get super crazy and go all detailed like Tyler, Kir like Tyler Kirkham tried to, or, right. you know, like the X-Files book tried to. They just do it in an animated style that we recognize, and it's fun, it's taken seriously, and it's just great. And I think a lot of this 
Transformers stuff, it's always the same story. Like, once again, the innocents are pulled into our battle and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And that can get really boring. But when it's done by someone who knows what they're doing and has a good handle on these characters and, like Simon Furman does, knows how to put a little character into these otherwise just boxy robots, mm-hmm. man, is it a good time. You know, I, I'm going to give mine to Transformers UK. Speaking of Simon Furman, uh, Transformers UK 113. Um, just because it was such a treat. It, it was, was such a yeah. pleasant surprise. It was delightful. And, uh, you know, I, I really liked Star Trek Transformers, uh, but I I didn't grow up watching the Star Trek cartoon, so I don't really have an affinity for it outside of, like, a modern context. So I'll loan you um, my Blu-ray collection. <laughs> That's, that's quite all right. I think I it's probably it. on it's probably on Paramount Plus. I'll, I'll watch it that way. But uh, yeah, Transformers One Thirteen. It's a wonderful example of keeping a world going past its original expiration date. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, like Transformers the movie came out. Uh, they time jumped twenty years into the future, and Simon Furman was like, "Okay, no problem." Um, but also, I'm going to jump back 20 years into the past. Is that cool? Well, <laughs> and, like, he just rolled with it. And look and, what happened with G.I. Joe 142. It's like the exact opposite. Right, right. Where it's just yes. like, oh, you guys have nothing left. And this... Ugh. Right. Yep. And, uh, I mean, as far... It might be a, a bit of a cheat to call it a crossover, considering it's the first appearance of Death's Head. But Death's Head is a character that has gone, that has transcended the Transformers sure. universe. Sure, yeah. Uh, uh, He's a Marvel character now. And he was um, just in a series with Wiccan and Hulkling. So yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's he's it's kind of like the micronaut situation where right. it's like, well, Bug Bug was in this comic, but you'll never see Acroyer again. Right. Because that's just how it is. Or a Croyer. Uh, or or a Croyer. Yeah. I always called him Acro Year. I, I think it's Acro Year. I think it, the guy that used to call it a Croyer is a moron. Okay. <laughs> Um, But speaking, uh, you know, we had been saving this for the end here. Speaking of this sort of crossover, there are intercompany crossovers or crossovers between multiple franchises. You've got two options. Usually you pretend that they've always been in the same universe the entire time and they've somehow never met. And that's annoying. um, Which is annoying at best. And lazy, I would add. Yes. Or you actually make a show of explaining that um, character group X came from a different place, a sure. different, uh, a different universe, a different planet, a different time, whatever. Sure. Almost across the board crossovers that do the latter work better because we don't have to w- waste the brain power wondering why Spider-Man and Batman have never met if they are in the same world. Sure. And I, I appreciate that for the most part, like with GI Joe and the transformers, you want to say that they take place in the same world. Fine. I'm fine with that. Even that they've is crossed little, over, little iffy. <laughs> it, it's iffy, yeah, but I mean, they've they've crossed over six times, sure. so whatever. Yeah. I mean, like the Punisher showed up in the Nom comic, so right. what do I know? But you about can't what, tell me that the Avengers and, and the Transformers have been on the same planet for the whole yeah, damn no, time. Yeah, no, it doesn't work. It, like, <laughs> and Reed Richards it, didn't figure this out? You yeah, know, like, it, it's just, it's Dr. better. Doom never picked up on this. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, they're, Spider-Man even says something in Transformers number three where they show up on in the arc they go to the arc and spider-man's like oh man reed richards would be like a kid at a science fair uh if he got to see this place it's like 
but then where is he? <laughs> why didn't anybody think to call him? Yeah, immediately got, when you saw giant talking robots, why you, didn't Spider-Man go, I gotta make a phone call. I'll you be right just, back. <laughs> you just you just spent a year with him on an alien planet right. fighting the Beyonder. Like right. you don't know that guy's phone number. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think intercompany crossovers can be tricky. And um I think IDW did it well um uh, half the time. Sure. And Marvel did it poorly yeah. most of the time. Yeah. And um, it's a shame, but uh, this was fun though. I really liked this idea. Yeah, this is a fun time. I, I thought this was going to be a slog. I had really. I was. I was also really worried we weren't going to be able to come up with enough different ones that we hadn't already talked about. Joe, we missed like ten more. <laughs> so <laughs> there, there are, aren't that many. There's no. a bunch of them. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links to all the books we discussed and. If you think, I can't believe they didn't talk about this Transformers crossover, why don't you go to Two-Headed Nerd and search first before you scream at us, okay? Yeah, and you Ryan. know who you are, sir. <laughs> Ryan. Your name is Ryan. If you want to read along with THN, you can find each episode's review list on our Twitter and Faces book weekly on Tuesdays. Also, we want to know what you guys thought about these comics, our reviews, any other intercompany crossovers, or anything that you read this week. Hit us up on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover. We do it on Saturdays on Facebook Live from 11 to noon Central Time. Programming note, not this weekend. But next weekend, we'll be there. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. I was hoping when we reintegrated into our timeline, all this motor oil from the corpse-littered robot battlefield we just left would disappear, too. I know. Filthy. God. Oh, well. Let's head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, get these shirts off, and rub each other down with some heavy-duty lava soap while we tell the nerds about our must-read picks for next week. That's right. You can rub lava all over your body, and I'll scrub you you go first, you dirty boy. THN is not sponsored by Lava Soap, and Lava Soap does not condone any of the opinions expressed here. <laughs> uh, that said, Lava Soap, if you'd like to sponsor the yeah, show, get at I'll us. totally let you. My pick for next week is Batgirls, number one from DC. It's written by Becky Cloonan and Michael Conrad with art by Jorge Corona. Here's your solicit. I kind of hate this. Um, hello. You didn't actually think we'd keep you waiting this entire year without giving you the Batgirl series we've all been waiting forever for, right? Ugh. No way. We love you too much, just like Batgirls Cassandra Kane and Stephanie Brown, who are only able to navigate the dark, gritty, and oftentimes scary city of Gotham by leaning on the bright light that is their best friendship. This is what? This is making me not want to read it. <laughs> Mentored by Oracle, the Batgirls move to the other side of town where Barbara Gordon can keep a better eye on them while the hacker seer is still invading their lives. Steph may be too rash sometimes and Cass doesn't speak much, but what they lack in similarities, they make up for with their mutual respect and love for each other. And what makes them stronger together as Batgirls. And they may be good at kicking ass, but they're just trying their best to be normal teenagers who will borrow the keys to a muscle car that belonged to a bad guy and perhaps give it a joyride around town without a driver's license, then race to get back home to Oracle by curfew. I think I'm not picking this now. I don't know. <laughs> Splashing the pages with bright colors against a dark backdrop of Gotham. 
Batgirls is the pizza slumber party of the year you don't want to miss. Boy, you should have read this I first. I might be out. <laughs> I don't know. Because uh, uh, this was going to be my pick, but you took it. I read the preview, and the preview is not like this. It's, it's uh, so the, 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 the mandate of Batgirls originally was supposed to be a kind of all ages-esque. Right. This, the way this solicit is written is very cloying and yeah. not at all for guys like us, I, w- I would say. But um, it's also not really being marketed to like a young adult teen girl audience either. Right. So like this is th- like if the, if Sear is showing up and like they say the word ass in the solicit, which is, again, not a problem if we're talking about a normal comic book. But if this is a book for all ages, that seems out of place. Yeah. But if Sear shows up, that means this is firmly in the current bat man uh post future and fierce and or fear state universe right and uh it, let me tell you it is not bright and sunshiny so yeah i don't know i like i i will say that there have been bat girls backups in the pages of detective comics and they've for been the great several months um and so there's no reason to think that it this won't be good but the solicit is not doing it anything i think it's worse. weird marketing i just think it's weird marketing Hopefully, fingers crossed for the best. My pick for next week is Robin and Batman number two, also from DC Comics, written by Jeff Lemire with art by Dustin Wynn. It's $5.99. Here's your solicit. Dick Grayson is struggling in his training to be Robin, and the Batman decides the young man needs a break and takes him to meet the Justice League. In an awe-inspiring moment, he meets the world's greatest heroes and their sidekicks. Will these Teen Titans get along. Hey, get it. Uh, so I picked this because Robin and Batman number one came out during one of our off weeks we or it. a cosmic long box week. Um, one way or the other, like it was too late to review when we got back to normal new comic reviews. Number one is wonderful. And uh, I am very excited to uh, talk about the series and number two on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to catch um, up. I haven't because I also didn't Matt one. stole my pick, so that's why I picked it. <laughs> the THN trade of the week goes to Nightwing Volume One, Leaping into the Light, the trade paperback from Listen, DC. We got a theme, and we're sticking with it. It's twenty four ninety nine, and you're like, what is with all this bad stuff? Hey, I don't know if you've looked at DC lately on their new shelves. Literally eighty percent of their output is bat related. <laughs> so not not literally. It is hard <laughs> to throw a dart <laughs> at their comics without hitting a bat book. Okay, the literal number is much lower, but also much higher than you would want it. Good to be. lord, this is written it's by Tom like Taylor. Fifty fifty one percent. This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo. Here is your solicit. Nightwing is back in Blue Haven. And his drive to keep his adopted city safe has never been stronger, but protecting Blue Haven is no small task, especially now that it's being menaced by Nightwing's most terrifying foe yet, a mysterious and murderous villain with a penchant for stealing his victims' hearts, known only as Heartless. That sounds kind of dark and like it could be very much like Joker cutting his face off. It's not. Tom Taylor is doing such a wonderful job on Nightwing, okay? And if you are fed up with all this other Batman stuff that you can barely follow, go pick up Nightwing. It is wonderful. By the way, Tom Taylor, congratulations. Just signed a DC exclusive contract today. Announced yeah, it on that's Twitter. Right. That's right. Uh, yeah, this book is uh, wonderful. Nightwing right now is better than it's been in years. Oh years and years and years. So good. And... Uh, I love it so much. I love Bruno Redondo, and I know that that umlaut 
probably means it's pronounced Bluedhaven. Bluedhaven. But I die a little bit inside every time somebody does not just call it Bloodhaven it's because not Bloodhaven. that's what it should be. That's, not that's what, what it, it should be called. That's not what it is. Take the umlaut off of it. Just call it Bloodhaven. Oh, wow. American Joe over here. Yeah. We don't need It's an here. American city. Yeah. Well, a lot of American cities are named after other places. <laughs> You can find our picks of the week every Wednesday on Twitter and Facebook too, where we want to, you to let us know what you're reading. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for Teach Un 646. Next week, we are back to reviewing new comics from December 8th through the 15th, and we're going to give you a sneak peek at our Patreon Extra. This one's going to be super helpful. It's the official THN Holiday Gift Guide! Boys, girls, do you have a nerd in your family and need some presents for Christmas? Well, guess what? THN is here to help you. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or any of the weekly nerd news we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show. It's THN cover to cover. We do it every Saturday at 11 Central Time. It's hosted on our Facebook page. And don't forget about the question of the week. This week's question was submitted by us in honor of the season. Which comic book family would you most like to spend the holidays with? Now, not you're not a character. You are you. You are Matt Baum. Right. You are Brian Domingos. You yeah. are whomever you your are. Your family is the show. dead, and you have no friends. That's so not go true. Spend- it's oh, just that I'm you're sorry. in a situation. I where, misunderstood. <laughs> um, you are invited to spend the holidays with a comic book family. Which family would you want that to be? Love it. Um, please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You can call us at four zero two eight one nine four eight nine four or join the Zoom by clicking on the link in our Facebook Live video chat. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline and you could be internet famous. Use that uh, contact information for anything you do to contact the show, whether it's question of the week suggestions, um, answers to the question, segment suggestions, uh, ask a nerd help, comic pushers recommendations. The whole gamut. Um, we do ask that you keep your recorded messages to two minutes or less uh, so that we can squeeze in as many live callers as we can, our live viewers as we can. Uh, and again, just a reminder, there is no cover to cover this Saturday. It is the Ziggurat Family Holiday Party and uh, a.k.a. Cookie Fest 2021. And so we will be taking that day off. If you're new to this show and you would rather watch us be crushed inside the cab of a transforming robot... Then listen to any more. I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. It's where we keep all our back issues. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest donor, Jane Louise Terrington. No relation to Mark whatsoever. Yeah, I know. Are we sure of that? She's not married to Mark. I'm I'm pretty sure. Okay, I hope so. Because that guy's a yeah, I don't weirdo. Think so. <laughs> I love Mark Darrington. Don't get me wrong. If well, you, he's a gelatinous blob in a t- test tube these days, isn't it's he? true. Yeah, he's having some trouble. If you yeah. like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd, where you will hear all kinds of exclusive content as soon as Joe Patrick friggin' posts it. Or you can just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you're a lunatic and you don't need that kind of stuff. You have you've given up stuff and things you you evolved and you just want to shoot happiness and it's like you don't just want THN you need THN and that's a responsibility (laughs) 
Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to George Perez, who revealed that he has been diagnosed with stage 3 terminal pancreatic cancer this week. Uh, In the short time he has left, Perez has decided to spend as much time as he can with family, obviously, but with fans as well saying that he'd like to hug as many of them as possible before he goes. Oh, man. Uh, and if you don't cry thinking about that, there might be a little bit something broken inside you. Yeah. Uh, there are, on a personal note, uh, there are few living artists left that have left a mark on the industry like Perez and his work literally changed my life forever. Uh, you, If you've listened to the show long enough, you've heard me tell the story. Uh, I won't say it again here. But it inspired a lifelong passion for comics and art. It, it changed the direction of uh, my life. So, you know, it's important. He's important to me. Word to you, George, and thank you. Thank you for everything. Uh, yeah. I love you. Tough. I love you, George. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order all your comics or your retailer might just swap your G.I. Joe versus Transformers for the crappy Devil's Due ones that came out a while ago. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, rolling out.